Hi, I'm Nancy Dufresne. Welcome to our podcast channel. We know you'll be blessed by today's message. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We glorify you. We glorify you. We magnify you. We worship you, Father. That is who you are. It's all about who you are. And in the circumstances we face, it's all about who you are. And in the challenges that come, it's all about who you are. No matter what we see, no matter what we feel, it's about who you are. And who you are in us. We thank you that you are who you are in us. And we give you glory and honor. bragging big on who he is. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We glorify you. We glorify you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, turn around to four or five people around you. Give them a great big God bless you tonight, and then you can be seated. Hallelujah. Good evening, everyone. We're so glad you're here with us tonight. And uh, I'm glad I'm here with you. And there's no place I'd rather be. And I appreciate those ministers who have come a long way to be here. And those who didn't come as long a way to be here, we're so glad you're here. And uh, to our congregation that's here and different congregation members from other churches, thank you for coming. We're so glad to be here. And uh, we're going to, we're here to respond to what God has for us. Amen. Hallelujah. Before we go any further, uh, if you'll adjust the mids on this, thank you. Uh, Before we go any further, I I want to let you know about something that's coming later this week, uh, an item that we have. Pastor Angela and her husband uh, brought brought me one when they came uh, on this trip, and uh, I said, oh my gosh, we got to make this available, let people know about it. This is called our Healing Covenant. And it is a a man, uh, Pastor Chip uh, Bolio, that he for, since 2014, I believe it is, he's been working on it. And he, every scripture in the Bible that refers to healing, and he referenced over 400 different Bible translations and some of them out of print. So he's gone through and it is, I just sit and read and just sit and read and it is that good. So we contacted him and said, how can we get these? Because we want them available for you. 
So he is, he's giving us two shipments. One is arriving Thursday. The next one's arriving Friday. Uh, we have a hundred copies total coming. So um, if you want to go back to the book table, you, you want to? <laughs> Uh, this is Pastor Ike's, but I think you could go go for the highest bid tonight. No. <laughs> and I just—it's such a great resource. And I, you know, when somebody takes that many years of their life, look what it saved you. And um, when I was reading it, I was thinking about Dad Hagen, who when uh, his daughter Pat had a lump on her eye and he was believing God. And he said that what he did while he was preaching on the road, he would stay, he stayed up for the next three nights and he would actually sleep an hour. Then he'd wake up an hour and meditate on healing scriptures and sleep an hour, wake up and meditate on healing scriptures. He did that for three nights. And in doing that, at the end of that, his, that, that lump had disappeared and I thought you you got it right here just yeah. reading through all the healing scriptures compiled and I so appreciate it it's it's just uh, it's just a blessing that this pastor took the time to do that and we want to we want to appreciate that I'm uh, rev, uh, translations I've, I've absolutely never heard of but so so good and uh, it'll be a help because when you see the different translations, there's wording in there that helps it land. It drives it into you. And so each scripture does not have 400 reference listed. I just want to clarify. And uh, I, he, he made it so reasonable for us, $35 for this. And because we're shipping it quickly, you're going to pay shipping on that too. So who's, who's this go to? Is this your, who's is it? It's his. Okay. You better put it on. I'd sit on it if I were you. I wouldn't put it under your chair. There may be slip, things slipping and sliding under that chair. And Hallelujah. <laughs> Turn with me tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Actually, um, before you go there, you were going to go there. First Peter chapter two twenty four. Go there. First Peter chapter two twenty four. Yes. And uh, Peter, in writing, lists some of our inheritance yeah. truths for us. In 1 Peter 2.24, he writes, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, being dead to sins, being dead, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness. Now that we're dead to sins, we can live unto righteousness. But I see the wording should live. So it's not an automatic. It's the way we should live by our choices we make. Should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. 
So this verse reveals the inheritance that belongs to us. Number one, our dominion over sin. Sin cannot lord it over us. Uh, we, we are authorized to tell it no, and it has to, it has to leave. We're no longer dominated by what used to dominate the old man. The new man is not dominated by that anymore. You have to talk to sin because anytime you're delivered for something, it always tries to come back. Always tries to come back. Whether it's symptoms that try to come back, whether it's lack that tries to come back, whether it's a a life of sin that tries to come back, habits of sin, you're authorized to tell it no. And this is our inheritance right. And also because of that, our manner of life is now addressed. That we should live under righteousness. And then, of course, the last phrase, by whose stripes ye were healed. And too many times we simply focus on that phrase, but that phrase is preceded by our dominion over sin. So we need to exercise our authority over it and not let it set, can't set up camp with us, not open the door to it, not, not put up with it. But the next thing is so that we should live unto righteousness. Jesus made us right with God. It's his righteousness. It's not our righteousness. It's not earned righteousness. It's his righteousness. And that is a gift. It's not earned. And so because it's a gift, it's yours. It's yours for the taking and using every day. You are made righteous. And then we see by whose stripes she were healed. Receiving the healing that's part of our inheritance is no problem when we're living as we should. How should we be living? Unto righteousness without sin dominating us. Amen. So this is the way the believer should live. I said should live. Other translations, the common English Bible said, Jesus did this so that we might live in righteousness having nothing to do with sin. Having nothing to do with it. How about nothing to do with it in our thought life? Not just in our deeds of life, but nothing to do with it up here. Because Jesus made it clear to us that it's not only sin just to act it out indeed. <laughs> he said, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her in his heart, so in his thought life, God counts him guilty. An unrestrained mind would lead us into violations. <laughs> Amen. So you just can't let yourself think about anything you want. Let, it, let yourself do anything it, you want. Because righteousness, this inheritance, it's part of our inheritance to live a life of righteousness precedes him telling us about the healing that Jesus purchased. We have, we have to keep the order God keeps. God's word translation that first says, Christ carried our sins in his body on the cross so that freed from sins, we could live a life that has God's approval. We want God's approval. 
When we are living the life that God approves us, approves of, then we are positioned to easily receive everything he's provided. And healing is easily received when we're in right territory. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Um, then I want to flip over to 1 Corinthians. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll start looking at verse 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in verse 16. The King James translation says this. Know you not that ye are the temple of God. Now that, that just ought to be a good meditation place. I am. I am. Not going to be. I am the temple of God. Why, why are we the temple of God? Well, because our bodies house our own spirits. And so because that, our body becomes the temple because that's where our own spirits are housed. Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? So some people either didn't know this or they let it slip that they knew it. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We should live under righteousness. <laughs> Why? Because we are the temple. We house the Holy Spirit. The Amplified, I love the Amplified because when you read this verse 17, it gives a broader view of what this means. The Amplified of verse 16 says, Do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, so he's talking to a body of believers because the Corinthians is written to the church, not to an individual. So we have to keep that in mind when we're reading it. Do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's temple, his sanctuary, and that God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you to be at home in you collectively as a church and also individually? If anyone does hurt to God's temple and corrupts it with false doctrines or destroys it, God will do hurt to him and bring him to the corruption of death and destroy him. So he's talking about, don't you injure the local church. Don't you injure the body of Christ because you will reap in your body what you sow in his. This is a sobering thing because when we touch one another, we're touching the place the Holy Ghost dwells and the place the Holy Ghost abides. Now we can understand why Peter would list talking about living a life of righteousness, addressing our manner of life in connection with addressing the other benefits that belong to us. 
Verse 17 again. If anyone does hurt to God's temple or corrupts it with false doctrines. There was uh, one minister that Dad Hagen referred to, of course, that was a leading minister in the healing revival. And he was a, he was a prophet of God and uh, he wanted to be a teacher. And he began teaching. And he had, God had given him a large voice for his office. Not for his own desire to be voiced. And he began teaching when he did not have the anointing of the teacher. And because of that, he was not rightly dividing the word and he was preaching things and teaching things into the body that were damaging to the body. And as phenomenal of a ministry as he had with the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the healings that happened, uh, God spoke to Brother Hagen as a young minister and said, he's going to make a false move. And he said, and his life will be shortened. And he said, for I have turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. So even though you can be a vessel that God anoints and uses, if that position and place and voice is given to injure the good we've done won't cancel out the harm we're doing. And brother, and God said to brother Hagen that he was, well, in quoting that verse, I've turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his soul might be saved. He was in jeopardy of losing his salvation because of the damage he was doing to the body of Christ. This is serious. You say, well, we came to camp meeting, you know, we were trying to, we want to jump and run and dance. What are we going to? If anyone does hurt to God's temple or corrupts it with false doctrines or destroys it, God will do hurt to him and bring him to the corruption of death and destroy him. Basically, God won't stop his harvest. That's what he's saying. God doesn't have to take destruction and put it on someone because he doesn't have anyone. What he's saying, he says, I will not stop the harvest. When you sow destruction, you reap it, and I won't stop that. Praise the Lord. For the temple of God is holy, sacred to him. And that temple, you, the believing church, and its individual believers are. So we need to see us and the body as God sees it and calls it and start uh, and make sure our manner of living reflects this knowledge. I was reading Brother Joel Siegel's book. I believe it was called New Creation Realities. Is that the name of it? New Creation Meditations. Meditations. The other was Kenyon's title. (laughs) It's really good. So... This is the last time I'm referencing him. (laughs) No, brother Joel made this on, on, in one of his teachings there. He says, it is important that the Holy spirit is housed properly in an environment worthy of his greatness. 
Now that's what Peter was saying, that we should live a life of righteousness. The manner of living matters. I said the manner of living matters. When people came to Jesus, they came to hear and be healed. They didn't just hear, there's healing for you, there's healing for you. They heard other things because Jesus isn't just going to teach them the benefit without teaching them the responsibility of the benefit. Because if you just teach the benefit without teaching the responsibility, you'll lose the benefit. They came to hear. They heard these kinds of truths. So again, Brother Joel says, it is important that the Holy Spirit is housed properly in an environment worthy of his greatness. We are repeatedly warned in the scriptures to maintain proper standards of living, catering to the Holy Spirit's preferences. That's catering to his preferences. Why? Because he's the one that abides in us. When you have someone to come and stay in your home, if you're any kind of a host, it matters to you how they're treated. And it matters to you of how, what you make available to them and what you want let intrude upon them. Amen. Amen. Uh, one minister makes this statement. He says, a dove is a skittish bird. And the Holy Spirit, of course, is represented by that. A dove is a skittish bird. If a dove rests upon your shoulder and sits there, you will make every step with the dove in mind. Thinking, you won't make quick, harsh movement. You're thinking, I want him to, I'm hosting him, you know. The Holy Spirit, you would carefully. You won't go to places that are going to make that dove say, I'm out of here, right? If a dove rests upon your shoulder, every step you make is with the dove in mind. And I love that this is what Brother Joel talks about, that we're catering to his preferences. We are not afraid that the Holy Spirit will leave us, but we're protecting his presence that he's there. Because people can get into this thing, I'm afraid the Holy Spirit's going to leave me. No, he'll never leave you nor forsake you, but you should host him properly. Just because he, he says he'll never leave you nor forsake you is not a license to be offensive to the one you're hosting. By being mindful of the Spirit who rests with you every day, is the same as the shadow around Peter that produced miracles. When you host the presence of God, more gets done by accident than on purpose. Living a life of righteousness is the manner of living that properly hosts the Holy Spirit, what Peter was referring to. Amen. Then we can see why receiving healing is a difficulty when people's lifestyles are unaddressed. Right. 
I mean, if something wrong gets in, into your house, immediately go and find where did it come in through. When something is a trying to attach itself, you have to, it's just good wisdom. Wait a minute, have I left a door open? Where is access? Where's access? We, uh, in a previous home that we lived in, we were on four and a half acres. And Stephen, I don't know, would have been maybe, uh, maybe about 12 or 13. He had his own room down the hall. Ours was upstairs. And one day he came and, well, I heard him say, uh, Mother? <laughs> and he was real calm. And I thought, that's kind of odd way he's saying that. He said, uh, come here. And I went, and there was a snake going into his, into his bedroom. Big one. So I ran and got a box and put over it. And then Ed was out of town. So I call a guy. <laughs> I call a guy in the church. I got a snake here. I got a box over it. Come get him. <laughs> Don't call you. So uh, I told Stephen, watch the box. Because I'm going to go call. We didn't have cell phones. In. I'm going to go call this guy. So the guy shows up with a gun. I love it. We're going to take care of business. We're going to take care of business. So I said to the guy, he's under the box. He goes in there and he starts, you know, the fold on the box is that you can unfold it. So he looks in that there's a little opening and he looks in there. He, I don't, I don't see anything. So he starts unfolding it and it's not there. And there was a little raised place on the edge of the box that eventually he had gotten out. We didn't know where he's at. And I said, ain't nobody leaving this house till that. That snake is found because I know he's in here. And I told the man, you might need to call your wife. You might not be home for days. I don't know. You're not leaving. This is going to get dealt with. And to tell you the truth, I'm not going to be looking too hard. <laughs> I don't want to pull something back and me be near it. So he went around Stephen's room first and that thing had gotten into Stephen's closet and coiled up under something. And so we're removing stuff and we're keeping our eye on him. And then I said, what you going to do with this thing? He said, I'm going to shoot it in my house. He sure enough did right in my house. At that time, my mom called and she said, what are you doing? I said, shooting snakes. <laughs> and I told her about it and she said, Nancy, nothing stinks like snake blood. You better get every bit of that out. Is that right, Pastor Debbie? You know. <laughs> so we got it out. 
And the guy took it outside and I think, I don't know if Stephen chopped it up or the man chopped it up, is our dead. And somebody said, what kind of snake, what? You know, when we came to church on Sunday, I was telling about it, you know, because all our business is out there. And so somebody said to me, what kind of snake was it? I said, well, I don't, a snake is a snake. There's only one kind. In my head, there's only one kind. And so they, I described it. They said, that's worth a lot of money. You killed it and chopped it up. I said, he's still worth a lot of money. $5 over there, $5 over there, $5 over there. <laughs> he's still worth every penny. You just can't put him all at one pile. So probably a couple months later, we didn't know how he got in. Not knowing how he got in, what's, what, what's going to happen? Same thing going to happen again. Until, until we find the access, things are going to keep happening that should not happen. So a couple months later, I heard Stephen go, mother, I go, ah, oh, shoot. I know what that is. I go down the hallway. This was a little bit worse because there was an air vent, uh, air intake vent in the hallway partway up the wall and the snake was hanging half in and half out. And I go, oh man, just creepy. I'm just saying creepy. Yes, I want to creep you out. That's why I'm telling it. So I called the guy. Got him. But now we knew the access. So we went out in the garage and there was a small hole. He was getting in the walls to find what he could find in the walls. And then because he was in the wall, he just came right through that vent. But if we hadn't closed the access, we would have had just keep coming in, just keep coming in. When something gets out of order, find the access or something's going to keep coming in and it could get worse. Something worse could come in. Amen. Peter is doing us a kindness to let us know. Sin has no more dominion over us. Now, therefore, we should live under righteousness. Why? This seals up all the holes. This seals up all the accesses. Righteous living is the way to host the Holy Spirit. It's the way to, to be in position to receive himself took our infirmities and bear our sickness by his stripes. We were healed. That's the life that has the easiest way of receiving that inheritance. And actually, even though it's not worded this way, we could still word it this way and be correct. Whose own self in his own body took our sins on the, on, on the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. But also we could say it this way, uh, who was made poor that we might be made rich. Because it's all the same flow of inheritance. So if we want to live in the inheritance that's been made ours of prosperity, we should live under righteousness. Because it's all, if one facet of our inheritance calls for righteous living, every facet, 
of our inheritance calls for righteous living. Praise the Lord. I said, praise the Lord. When we read this passage in 1 Corinthians that if anybody does hurt or harm to the temple, that they will reap in their own lives the harm that they have sowed. I was listening to the testimony of um, a, a pastor by the name of Justice Duplessy. His brother was David Duplessy, who was known as a key figure with the charismatic revival in the 60s and 70s. Justice Duplessy pastored in South Africa. He had a, a congregation member that came to him, and she said, I wanted you to pray with me. She said, I've been to the doctor. They've told me I have breast cancer. They want to remove my breast. And she said, I don't want to have that done. And so he, said, I, he prayed with her. But over the, the next period of time, her health declined more and more and more. And in her health declining, she ended up on the deathbed. And ending up on the deathbed, she, he received word that she was only within hours, maybe a day or so, of passing away. She called and she said to him, quoting James, that you can call for the elders of the church and they can come and anoint him with oil and... Uh, so she asked for him. She said, would you come and would you bring the leaders of our church and come and minister to me again? So it was a Friday night that she had called and so he made plans to go there and he had about 11 or 12 or so different leaders in his church. And in contacting them, every single one of them were available for that Friday night, which was an oddity because it normally would not have been so. But they were all able to gather at the hospital. They went into her room. And uh, the pastor said, we've come. And, uh, of course, he quoted that scripture there in James 5 that she had used as a basis of calling them. And uh, they were around her bed. And before he prayed, he said, uh, in quoting it, he said, Sister, I'm not saying that there is, but this verse says that if he's committed sins, that God will forgive him. But notice in calling for the elders of the church, if there's sin, let's get that addressed so that healing can come. And he says, I'm not saying there is sin. I'm just saying that's for you to make sure. So he said, before I anoint you with oil, I'm going to give you the opportunity to talk to the Father and address that. And so she, she laid there for a few moments and prayed quietly. And then she motioned for him to lean down because she was so weak, she couldn't speak in a full voice. And so she could only speak in a whisper. So he put his ear down to her mouth and she said, God has shown me that with my talking against people in the congregation, speaking ill of leadership and even speaking against you at times that I have sown cancer in his body and I have reaped cancer in mine. And she said, and I wish to confess that 
Well, that's in exactly with what we read in 1 Corinthians there, that if anyone does harm, harm will come back to them. And it's not God putting them on them, it's their harvest. It's their harvest. They sowed for it. So she said, so I wish to confess that. And uh, all of a sudden there was weeping going on. She says, I wish to confess it to all the leaders here as them representing the congregation. And different ones stood there and as she confessed, they started weeping. And they said, Pastor, we can't judge her. We've done the same thing. Yeah, right. wow. And they saw yes. firsthand yes. The outcome of that and it sobered them up <laughs> and so they all just repented to one another and repented to the pastor the pastor said well we forgive one another you know and then the pastor anointed her with oil and she was raised up completely healed at that moment at that moment at that moment She went to church on Sunday morning. She's dismissed on Friday night. Sunday morning, she's in church and she gets up and she told what happened. And then she said, I wish to repent to you per personally. And I ask you to forgive me. And everybody else started weeping because they themselves had been in their humanity and in their carnality had all done the same things. See, our lifestyle affects more than us. When we think I can do anything I want, you can't tell me where to go. You can't tell me who to date. You can't tell me who to marry. What are you doing to the body? What are you doing to that local church? Because we are fitly joined together. And when we do something, the fit is affected. And... Justice Duplessy said, he said, when that woman got up and gave her testimony of healing but repented, he said a revival broke out. Yeah. Think of that. He yeah. said it lasted for months because one woman repented. What if everyone that needed to repent repented? Revival. I said revival. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, Dad Hagen made this statement. He said in his latter years, he said, in my younger years of ministry, he said in ministering in the body of Christ and in churches and in traveling, he said, you, you, of course there were people that were sick and you needed to minister to, but he says, we didn't see the serious diagnosis and the, the, the ravaging diseases that he said, I saw later in the body of Christ. And he said, then I realized it was back then people lived holier lives. And in first Peter two twenty four, Peter connects the manner of our life to our bodies. The condition of our body is affected by the manner of our life. Praise the Lord. You will remember 
when Jesus came up to the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, and he said, wilt thou be made whole? Notice what Jesus was offering, wholeness. Not just, do you want to get better? Do you want the pain to leave? Do you want to be able to walk? No, he offered him the whole thing, wholeness. I love that. Wilt thou be made whole? And he said, I have no one to put me in when the water is stirred. And so a gift of the spirit went into operation. And without the man even knowing who Jesus was, had never heard Jesus preached, the power of God, he responded to it. He took up his bed and walked. And as he was walking, he was walking through the temple. The pool of Bethesda was by the temple. And it said that it was what they called, the King James called it the sheep market. Giving you the idea of selling and buying, but it wasn't a sheep market. It was a sheep gate is what the original calls it, the sheep gate, because that's where they kept the sheep that were going to be altered in the temple, offered at, on the altar in the temple. And it's so interesting that I think that Jesus went to that place. He didn't go in the temple at that moment. He went to where the sheep were because he saw his future by him being, he was going to be the great sacrifice. And this man raises up, he's raised up, he carries his bed and religious leaders are saying, why are you carrying your bed? And he tells them, he said, the man who healed me, cured me, told me to take up my bed and walk. Who is the man? I don't know who he is. But we see something about the man why did, of all the people that were waiting there to be healed, why did the Holy Ghost hone in on this man? Yeah. I believe it has something to do with what we see next. He went to the temple. Right. When he got up, he didn't go to the movie house. He didn't go to the dance hall. He didn't go home. He went to the temple. There was something that, of an honor. Not that he earned it, but God, see, God is looking for opportunity to bless people. And when he finds hunger, when he finds someone who will honor, he's quick to run to them if they'll respond. And so Jesus is in the temple and sees him. And then he says to him, behold, thou art made whole. Then he says this, sin no more. Lest the worst thing comes on you. What's he doing? You're going to have to address your manner of living if you want to keep your health. He's telling, he's not threatening him. He's telling him how to keep the door closed to the enemy stealing his health from him. Letting us know if the man would not have adjusted his manner of living, he's going to end up in worse condition than he was in for 38 years. This lets us know our manner of living is connected to our health. It matters. And our manner of living is to be defined by God's standard and not by legal standard, legislation, media standard, and government things because what they call just and right is not, we, the word is our standard. 
And we can't, just because it's legislated as law or legal or permissive, uh, we get to live by a higher law. Amen. 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 So Jesus connected his wholeness to what you do after. It matters where you go after you receive something from God. It matters where you go. It matters. And for those of, those of you who have been raised in the church, you better pay particular attention because you can become very comfortable in, in the blessing of the Lord. Amen. And start and get careless with the manner of living because all you've known is the blessing. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, now I'm going to get to the statement of what kind of set me off in the direction of the things that I'm ministering about tonight. I was watching a Dad Hagen service and it was him teaching in healing school in the 70s or early on. I don't know if they had healing school in the 70s. It was early, early on. Did they have healing school in the 70s? 1980 it started. So it was early on and you could tell by the quality of the tape and the, the, the way he referenced things. And uh, so there was so much in this that I thought, I'm got, I've, got to, I've got to listen to this again. And when I went to replay it again, the thing had disappeared off YouTube. I mean, uh, and then when I went to go check my history, because, yeah, I know check the history. You know, these young people, don't you know there's a history button? Yeah, I checked the history. And, and a different sermon was put up there in its place, showing I had watched a sermon that I hadn't watched as my history. And then I had pushed the save button to watch it later, and it, and it loaded a different sermon into the watch later. I've never had that happen before, but if there was a devil involved, that was there. <laughs> because I needed that one I had just watched. But thankfully, I wrote down some notes, and this is one of the statements that Dad Hagen made. If you will get your spirit where it ought to be, your body will start responding. If you will get your spirit where it ought to be, your body will start responding. Healing won't be a difficulty. Healing won't elude us. He connected the health of our spirit to the health of our body. He connected our manner of life to the health of our body. Well, if our health is connected to it, so is our prosperity. So is every other inheritance benefit connected to it. Healing is spiritual. It flows through our spirits into our bodies. And if our spirits are out of order, healing is hindered in its flow to our bodies. God is not going to heal your body by bypassing your spirit. <laughs> it's, he heals through our spirits. That life, that's power, that's in our spirit flows out of our spirit into our body affecting a cure. Amen. So God's dealings happen with our spirits and if we just treat needs as only natural, that's right. 
We're going to struggle. Amen. When people need healing, check your spirit life first. What needs to be addressed? Many, when they need healing, they just, because they know faith verses and they know healing verses, they just start picking up those healing verses and throwing them at it through confession. Just, they just start throwing those uh, healing verses at their bodies. Well, that's right. If you have first checked, where'd the snake get in at? Where'd the snake come in? Get the access closed because even if you were to receive healing, something more and something worse can come in if the access is not addressed. So for God's divine order that when the body needs something, the spirit is addressed, that's a safety for us. Turn toward your spirit and see what needs addressing. Listen, you say, I don't know what you mean by turn toward my spirit and see what needs addressing. Number one, what's God been dealing with you about? What's he dealing with you about? Well, he's not dealing with me about anything. That's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Mm -mm. Why? Because he is always offering us change so that we can come into greater glory. Why is that? Why do I know that's not true? Because he always has more for us. There's never, if you say God's not dealing with me more, you're saying God has nothing more for me. But he has more for us. No matter how, how much we lay hold of, there's always more. There's not a ceiling of God being done with us. We never hit the ceiling. And God is going to keep addressing and dealing with things because as we allow those things to be, as we agree with him and correct things and address things and deal with things, he can take us further. And where we stop making change is the place we're stuck at. We're not going further till changes, changes happen. Amen. And I will say this, this is my first thing. When you go to check how, how do we get our spirits where they ought to be, what's he dealing with you about? And I would say this, if you're missing those dealings, you know where you're missing it. You know. Because people would love to say, I don't know where I'm missing it. Yes, you do. You know where you're missing it. You know where you're missing it. Every time my mother said, Nancy, I knew. Uh-huh, she found out. I knew. I knew what I had done wrong while I was there. I was there. Just know this. There is no hidden sin from you. You might be hiding it from others, but from you. There is no hidden sin. Well, maybe the devil's getting in through some hidden sin. There's no hidden sin in your life. You know where it's at. Why? You were there. It's no surprise. You got shocked. <laughs> the spiritual maturing process is always happening. 
And that's why God's always dealing with us about something. Every phase and every season of our life calls for greater consecration. And he's always going to be dealing with us about the next level of consecration. And what's appropriate for one season is not appropriate for a current season. And just because we could in the past doesn't mean we can now. Amen. And when I say, what's he dealing with you about? I'm not talking about you doing a mental evaluation and going through. Because you get up in that mental arena and the devil will have you addressing things that aren't even, that God's not even addressing. So that you miss the target and never deal with what needs changing. And then you only get entrenched in condemnation and, and all of that. I'm saying, look to your spirit. God, what are you dealing with me about that I have not addressed? Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus told Dad Hagen in this hospital visitor vision. If you have his book, I Believe in Visions, there's a chapter called The Hospital Visitor. Jesus made this statement. He said to Dad Hagen, not all my people are in position to receive my best. What's his best? Well, that we never even need healing. That we never have any accidents. That we never have these things happen. And he said, but many of my people are not in position. Why is it they're leaving something unaddressed? Something in their spiritual life needs to be put back in order. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Just talking about things getting out of order. I remember years ago, I was getting ready to do a, uh, the funeral service for um, a policeman that had been part of our congregation and he had been shot right at New Year's when they went to, um, he, he, he was sent down to where there were gangs and things and the reason they sent the police there is because at the midnight hour coming into the new year they'd start firing guns off. And the danger is when those bullets come back down. And so they were there to try to keep that from happening and somebody saw him and thought, and evidently he was running from the law and thought he was there to get him and he wasn't. And this policeman took out chasing him and he shouldn't have because he was there alone. Well, they turned and fired on him and he was killed instantly. So we, I was to do his funeral. Well, uh, back then the, the police officers were treated in a very honorable way. And every officer, there were 4,000 police officers there. There was the mayor of, of LA. There were all the dignitaries of the county were there and it was a large event. Two days before I was to do that, the devil said to me and said, you're gonna get sick. You're not gonna be able to do that meeting. And I said, oh no, I'm not gonna get sick. I'm doing that meeting. I was invited to preach the funeral. So uh, we had our midweek service the next day. And uh, I said something in, a ser- in the service derogatory about a denomination. And I remember I was halfway through the statement and the Holy Ghost grabbed me. Just that, uh, on the inside, you know what that feels like when, uh, and I'm mid-sentence. 
And I thought, well, I'm already midway. I'm just going to finish the statement. (laughs) So I finished the statement and walked out of the sanctuary. The moment I walked out the sanctuary doors, every flu symptom was on me in full force because there had been a flu epidemic going through. Every single symptom on me in full force. I didn't have to say, where did I miss it? I didn't have to say, don't know me stupid. That make, that, you know, that, make it, that makes a mama and a daddy mad. When a kid does something, they go, what are you mad about? Come here, let me tell you two things I'm mad about now. <laughs> right? That, don't you play that cocky stuff with me, acting like, right? That doesn't work with God either. I drove home, and I sat down at the kitchen table. I put all my stuff on the table, and I said, Yeah. <laughs> God, I know your spirit checked me and I overrode my check. Dad had used to say, it's dangerous to override your spirit. It's dangerous. And I said, I did it. I cannot plead ignorance. Wish I could. But I knew your spirit checked me. And I don't want to plead guilty, although I'm guilty. Because guilty people get sentenced. So I said, I plead mercy. I ask you to have mercy. Because in the morning, I've got to be at this funeral. There was no way I could have gone in that condition. And he said, all right. I'll give you mercy. But Sunday morning, you get up and you... Repent to your congregation for saying that. What's he trying to do? He's trying to keep me from reaping the harvest of injuring the body. That we read in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't want us to have that harvest. That's why he checks us all along the way and gives us the space to repent. So I said, he said, you're going to get up Sunday morning. And you're going to repent your congregation. And I said, that's a deal. I'll do that. (laughs) Let me tell you, repentance does not mean you're weak. It's weak people that won't repent. Repentance is the action of someone spiritually strong. Not someone who's weak. If you don't repent in your marriage, you're weak in your marriage. You don't repent in your home. You're weak. Your spiritual life is so weak that it cannot even stand up to its own wrong. That's what Adam did. God gave Adam a chance to repent and he didn't. If he would have repented, what would have been different? But he didn't. There was no repentance that went on. So he said, okay, you get up Sunday morning and you repent. And I says, you got a deal. And the moment I said that, every symptom left. He said, and if you don't repent, by the end of the service, every bit of it will be back. Was God playing with flu? No, he was protecting me from it all along. 
and when I got out of order through what I thought and what I said, my spirit life got out of order. And when things are out of order, then the body can get out of order. But when I got my spirit back in order through repentance, did you get that? You get your spirit back in order through repentance. Another way you get it back into order is obedience. So I had to repent, but then I had to obey. On Sunday morning, I got up and I said, I said to the congregation, I made a derogatory statement about a certain certain denomination. And I said, I should not have said that I repent for that. Why? Because I didn't want to, I didn't want anything more to happen after the service. People don't know what happens after, you know? Praise the Lord. All of those things get a life out of order, a spirit out of order. Now I want real quickly and uh, additional things that make for a spirit that's out of order. I've already addressed a few things. Uh, Or us not walking, living in that life of righteousness, right? Not feeding on the word and giving the word first place our spirit lives are going to get out of order. If we don't give the word its proper place in our lives, our spirits will get out of order. It's not always just sinning. It's not always doing a sin of commission. It's omitting to do what is right. That our spiritual lives could get out of order. Amen? Jesus made the statement, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then Proverbs 4, verse 20 said, my son, attend to my words. If we don't attend to his words, something's going to get out of order in our spirit life. Proverbs 4, 20, my son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thy heart, for they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Notice whether or not we're tending to his word ends up affecting our health. Amen. What's another additional thing that our spirit lives can get out of order? Not exercising faith. We can have faith, but if we're not using our faith, our spiritual lives will get out of order, just being negligent toward that. Another thing that gets our spiritual lives out of order is neglecting our prayer life. Why? Because Ephesians 6, 18 says, praying always. With all kinds of prayer. It's it's not talking about 24 hours a day. It's talking about a manner of life, a manner of having prayer as a flow of our life. And then Colossians 4, 2 says, continue in prayer. So if we don't continue in prayer, our our spirit lives are going to get out of order. These are instructions to help our spirits stay in order so that things don't get out of order in in the other arenas of life. Another thing that our spiritual lives can get out of order is not living full. Not living full. Living full of the word, but living full of the spirit. When When we're not full, when we're less than full, we have room for wrong things to get in. That's why people struggle with offense or unforgiveness or bitterness and things getting in. Why? Because there was room. 
Fullness keeps the wrong things from getting in. Fullness is a safety. Fullness is a flow of safety that safeguards us from other things that seek entrance. Amen. And Ephesians 5, 17 says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled, or be being filled with the Spirit. It's not maintaining last week's feeling. It's a fresh in feeling every day. Another arena or another way that we can get our spiritual lives can get out of order is not walking in love. Amen. Dad Hagen told about the woman who came to his ministry, one of his uh, crusades, and she came because she needed healing, and she intended to get in the healing line, but she heard him say, come, and, come to as many services as you can before you get in the healing line. So she thought, well, I'm going to do that because she intended to stay for the whole length of the meetings. And she heard him teaching on love, and she realized that uh, she, he had just pinpointed a problem for her. She hadn't spoken to her brother in about 25 years. They fell out over their inheritance. And so they had, they had broken fellowship with one another. And so she uh, went to the morning meeting that he, he ministered on love. And she thought, I'm going to get that right. So she made a phone call to her brother. And she says, I wanted to call you. And I wanted to repent. Because uh, I've, I've carried offense and unforgiveness toward you over the inheritance. And he said, well, I was getting ready to call you. And he says, I wanted to repent because it's my fault. She said, no, it's my fault. He says, no, it's my fault. And they started, she said, well, just so we don't get into offense over whose fault it is, you take half the blame, I'll take half the blame. And then he said, well, I want you to come see me. She said, when I leave these meetings, I'll come visit you. And so she went and she laid down and took a nap in the afternoon before she got ready for the evening service. When she got up from the nap, she said every bit of her symptoms were gone. Why? Her spirit got in order and her body started responding. Her spirit got in order and her body started responding. Her spirit got in order and her body started responding. So many times people think the fix is a healing line. Thank God for a healing line, but no amount of this will help somebody when their spirit's out of order. Another thing that uh, our spirits get out of order is letting fear, worry, or doubt in. Someone who's dominated by fear, your spirit's out of order. Letting fear in. Worry is a sign that your spirit's out of order. Now the temptation to worry comes to all of us. But for that worry to get in and start troubling you, it's a sign something's out of order. Why? Faith isn't being given its rightful place. Because faith, walking in love, these things will, will keep fear from entering. Dad Hagen talked about the time that him and Mom Hagen went, and they stayed for several days with a pastor and his wife. The pastor's wife was dying of terminal cancer. She was in the final stages of it. So Mom and Dad Hagen had told them that they would come and stay there with them. And as they did, they spent several days just praying in the Spirit, praying for her. Yeah. After two days of praying, two to three days of praying, Nothing had changed. He said we would basically, we were just sleeping a couple hours and we were saints, spend the rest of the day praying in the spirit. And he said to the pastor, he said to Mom Hagen, he said to the pastor, he says, I've never prayed this long for anything without getting my answer. Amen. Yeah. 
Well, thank God we had that example to follow, right? Listen, if you're praying and praying and praying and confessing and confessing and confessing and nothing's changing, talk to God about it. Don't just keep doing what isn't getting a result and call it faith. Faith receives. So Dad Hagen realized nothing's changing. So he said, I believe we're, we've got to readjust how we're doing this. He said, we've been working on the sending end. We need to be working on the receiving end. He said, we're talking to God about sending in. I think we need to be mindful of receiving. So he goes in and he tells this to the, the, to the woman on the bed and said, we're going to adjust our approach. We've been talking to God about sending and we need to adjust and we need to focus on receiving. And he said, all of a sudden she said, I, I just, I know it's me. He said, she tuned up, started crying, said, I know it's me. I failed so many times. I could have done so much better. I should be further along. I should be further along in faith. And she just started listing her, her, her failures. And I so appreciate what dad Hagen said. He said, sister, that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> you know, when you're in a, the throes of a test and the mind is being bombarded. How, what a lifeline for someone to say, sister, that's not it. He said, we've all missed it. We all should have done better. We've all failed. If it's on that ground, none of us win. So they're, they just begin worshiping Jesus focusing on the receiving end. And as they did, the word of the Lord came to Dad Hagen and said, go stand at the foot of the bed and say, spirit of fear and doubt, come out. And he did it, and that spirit of fear and doubt came out, and the pastor said, something flew right by me out the window, and Brother Hagen saw it come out. He saw it lift out of her chest. And it flew out, and she got up and ate watermelon with them. She's completely raised up. Notice, once they dealt with what was out of order, what was out of order, fear and doubt got in. Letting fear and doubt in will get your spiritual life out of order, and then you, other arenas are affected. That's why some people struggle in their marriages and their finances. They're entrenched in fear entrenched in it and have lived it so long they don't recognize it because it's become a lifestyle they're thinking why do you call those kids so many times all day long it's fear no I'm just being responsible no you're being fearful you need to look to the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, show me what I have made part of my lifestyle that is, that's birthed by fear. He'll show you. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Paul writing, says, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God which is in thee. It's in there when I put my hands on you. Verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and a love and of sound mind. Timothy was letting fear dominate him. Amen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. Now think about it. 
One of the finest preachers with the most revelation who's ever walked on the earth was Paul. Timothy traveled with Paul. You can sit under the finest teaching and still let wrong things in. You can be in every service and still let wrong things in. Amen. So Paul told him, you're going to have to exercise your authority over that spirit of fear because fear is not simply a feeling, it's a spirit that produces a feeling. Then the next way that we can, uh, our spirits can get out of order is veering from the plan of God. Veering from the plan of God. Jesus said, my meat, the thing that nourishes me, the thing that sustains me, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. If Jesus needed to fulfill the plan of God to be nourished, that's what's going to nourish our lives. We can't just treat God's plan lightly and think we'll get back to it after we get ours done. Well, I'm going to go here. I'm going to take this job first and then I'll do what God says. Or I'm going to go to this school first, then I'll do what God says. Or I'm a... Amen. You remember the time that you remember the time that Dad Hagen talks about when he fell on and slipped on the ice, dislocated his elbow. It's the time of that vision of the hospital visitor in the book I Believe in Visions. And one of the things Jesus came in and told him, he said, uh, "You got out of my will. You've only been in my permissive will." And he says, "You got out of my will." And he says, "If I hadn't allowed that accident to happen, he said, I didn't cause it, but I permitted it to get your attention." And he said, if I hadn't permitted it, he said, you wouldn't have lived to the age of 50. Mm -hmm. The mercy of God. And he said, because he said, two years ago, you got up and announced. And he said, you've you've done it since then. He said, you got up and announced I'm a teacher and a prophet. And he said, when you said that, you got out of my will. What was it? When he got the order, the order of the offices out of order. Because he was saying, I'm a teacher and a prophet, he was developing the teacher's office more than the prophet's office. So it wasn't just saying that, that was a clue of what he was giving himself to. So just getting your ministry things out of order, there's an order. There are some things you're called to and some things you're told to, told to do. Don't confuse. There's a difference between God telling you to do something and God calling you to do something. Don't put what he told you to do above what he called you to do. Praise the Lord. So once he got that back in order, then see Jesus before Jesus said, I'm going to accelerate the healing process, but he had to make that correction so that he could accelerate the healing process. When uh, my husband was in his late 50s, he was diagnosed with cancer, and the doctor said, if this goes undressed, you'll be dead within two years, is what he told him. And Ed came home from the, the doctor told him, you know, that he had cancer. And he said to God, he said, God, you don't miss it. Where'd I miss it? And God said two, two places. He said, number one, you're not resting your body. I've dealt with you about it over the years. And he says, two years ago, I dealt with you in a strong way. And he said, you got back into your bad habits. You're not resting your body. See, just not treating your body right is getting things out of order. And he said, secondly, he said, you're not obeying me in the prophet's office. I tell you to say something and you don't say it. 
So Jesus, uh, Ed said to Jesus, he says, I repent of those two things. He said, okay, within 30 days, it'll all be gone. And, and he went back on day 28 and it's all gone. Amen. Why? When he got his spirit back in order, Amen. then the body started responding. Amen. 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 Then you can have this situation of just being the next thing that our spirits are out of order is just being unwilling, yeah. being disobedient. The word says, if you be willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. So he connected the way our future goes by our attitude and our obedience. Being willing is an inside issue. Being obedient is an outward, uh, an outward obedience, an outward act to what he said to do. So you can have, you can, uh, you can do what he said to do, but not be willing that you did it. Griping the whole way. Well, I did what you said, yeah, but the attitude was wrong. In my household, a bad attitude got you a whipping quicker than just not doing what I said. Because you can do what I said with a bad attitude, and then I'm really ripped. I'm upset now. Yeah, praise the Lord. And then... This last one, I'll close with this. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Having our lives out of order, our spiritual lives out of order. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. It reads, besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. So Peter lists seven things that have to be added to our faith. Because faith won't substitute for any of these things. Faith has its place, but these other seven things have their place. But notice the thing that he bumps right up against this word faith in verse 5. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. This word virtue in other, trans in other passages means power, but in this passage it means moral excellence. The thing that gets people's spirits out of order is their moral life. Their morality. Amen. And so people think, well, I can just live any way I want to live. And healing, you know, God's already provided. Uh, when, you're, when your life is immoral, you're not in position to receive what he's provided. And you're going to have to get that addressed. You can't just be living with that person and say, I love the Lord. If you love the Lord, either get out of that relationship or marry him. Amen. And can, parents, can I tell you this? Just because you love your children, love them, love them enough not to agree with them when they're wrong. Yes. Well, we, we stick with each other. We're, we're, we're blood. We're family. Your first family is God. You owe him first. Unity first. Love your children enough to call them wrong when they're wrong. And it's not a lack of love to call them wrong. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. He doesn't agree. He corrects. Amen. Morality will protect your children's future. 
it will protect your life. And many times people not addressing moral issues or letting the world taint their moral standards, relaxing your moral standards will open the door to the devil. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. What's the word say? Fools, because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Doesn't say because of the devil, because their iniquities. Their morality is not in place. Well, praise the Lord. Thank God for camp meeting. Amen. Thank God for camp meeting. I love 1 Peter 2, 24. And we, uh, we all just, we love that last phrase. But we're going to have to love the first phrase and the middle phrase so that the last phrase can find its place unhindered in our lives. Amen. Stand with me to your feet. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We're so grateful. We purpose to not just be hearers, but we're doers of the word. Thank you that we are temples of the Holy Ghost. We live mindful that the greater one lives in us. Therefore, it is our divine privilege to live in a way that he is given preference. To live in a way that he is honored. To have the, the setting and the environment of our lives that allows him to work uh, fully, fully uh, in fullness with the plan that you have for our lives. We're so grateful to know. We're so grateful. Father, we trust this week is a week of adjustments, a week of changes. And Father, as we sit under the teaching of the word, we say, oh, I see. I see where to make that correction. I see where to adjust that. I see where to add this. I see where to subtract this. Father, thank you that you're always dealing with us. We honor those dealings. We're so grateful for the dealings that you work in our life. We're so, so grateful. We give you thanks for it. And we're doers. We're doers, not just hearers, but we're doers of that which you have for us. And we give you thanks for it. Hallelujah. You got something you want to sing before we're dismissed?
our whole heart will agree. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, I, I love the, the definition that Sister Newsom gave in her book, The Life of Faith. She said, holiness is simply doing the will of God with joy. What's that mean? You're wholehearted. You're all in with your, not just, not just your words, but you're in with your, your attitude, your actions, and you're glad to do it. Amen. I'm glad to do what I need to do. Amen. I'm glad to do, make the adjustments. I'm glad to get my thing, get things in order spiritually. Amen. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that just the solar system keeps order? The problems disorder would cause. And that's why so many are struggling in arenas of their life. It's a lack of order. And the first place to check is the spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, are you helped tonight? Hallelujah. You don't want to miss the services. Be in as many as you can. And uh, in the morning at 10 o'clock, you don't want to miss it. You say, who's going to preach? I'll let you know in the morning. Amen. Hallelujah. But then you don't want to miss it tomorrow night either. So all week long. And if you can, as much time as you can, uh, clear away the daily duties of life so that you can just stay immersed in, in the flow of what's going on this week. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, turn to somebody before you're dismissed and say, I'm going to obey the word. And you can be dismissed. God bless you. We trust you've enjoyed this message. Visit us at DufresneMinistries.org to learn of our upcoming meetings, share your testimony, become a partner, or visit our online store. This program has been made possible by the friends and partners of Dufresne Ministries.